Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? All right. Well, surprise, not Dave or Austin, but a similar height and build, but just slightly better looking. Uh, now, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nick Followell. I get the privilege and honor to serve here as our operations pastor. And I'm excited to share with you this morning. Um, before we get started though, uh, once a month, we like to just highlight someone who's just absolutely killing it and just an amazing person uh, who serves here on one of our teams. So this month, our volunteer of the month is my good buddy, Jeff Johnson. Jeff serves on the parking team. He is here every Sunday, sometimes before even our staff uh, getting everything ready. He's just an incredible servant-hearted leader and we are very, very thankful for them for him. So let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Grateful to him. It's just always a good reminder when, when you serve, uh, this place just feels more like home when you take ownership. So we encourage you um, to do that. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our uh, series appropriately titled Summer in the Psalms, where uh, several of our pastors are just going through and picking out some psalms, kind of covering a wide range of topics and just meditating on them, because the book of Psalms is pretty incredible, and it covers basically every human experience under the sun, the highs, the lows, worship, exaltation, suffering, uh, asking questions like, God, where are you? Are you even real? Do you care about me? And then Today, what we'll cover, yeah, he, he really does, and he's amazing. Uh, and so we're going to be in Psalm 8 today. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, and as we turn there, I'll give you a little bit of time. Uh, this is probably, for obvious reasons, one of my favorite Psalms. It's why I chose it. Uh, but I think if I can do a decent enough job, I think you'll probably walk away too going, man, that Psalm is incredible. Uh, and the reason for that um, is there's this kind of like packed packed all these narratives in Psalm 8, like narratives like creation, what's humanity's purpose, our rebellion, our authority, God's redemption, and ultimately new creation. So we'll use Psalm 8 as kind of a base. And yeah, in my study, this is kind of what my brain looked like. It was like chasing Psalm 8 all over the, you know, Old and New Testament. And, and ultimately what, what I saw is like, like Dave talked about last week, that ultimately all of scripture points to who? Jesus. Uh, yeah, it points to Jesus. So you chase this thread and then you see um, Jesus being revealed in his goodness. And so what we'll need to do is lay kind of a groundwork. Uh, we'll be kind of in the Old and New Testament uh, today, and we'll kind of use that to hyperlink back, if you will. Um, before we begin, I always kind of like to say this, Dave isn't here, uh, but I think, thanks to Dave and Austin for entrusting me. That's probably a big risk for them for having me come up here. And so we'll see uh, if that trust is warranted here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we dive in, a few interesting facts about Psalm 8. Um, Psalm 8 is about God's majestic name revealed in and through creation. And it's actually, uh, we'll see here in a little bit, a reflection, uh, a poem just kind of meditating on Genesis chapter 1. It was written by King David. Uh, and this one's my favorite one. Uh, this psalm actually made a trip to the moon and back. Uh, so on Apollo 11, one of the astronauts wrote John 15 and Psalm 8 and stuck it in his pocket. When he got to the moon, received communion on the moon. The first, uh, you know, drink and food ever taken was communion, which is pretty cool. And on the way back from the moon, looking out at all the moon, the stars, and seeing this wonderful image, you could probably see, oh wait, that's the wrong one. I've got, I guess I got Kyrie Irving or Red Hot Chili Peppers running my slides out there. Uh, yeah, this astronaut looked out and was like, this is beautiful. 
and he felt compelled to, to read aloud Psalm 8. Anyone know who that astronaut was? Who said that? Oh, Dub said it. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, he was actually an elder at his uh, Presbyterian church in, in uh, Houston. It's this really fascinating story, and it'll make a little bit more sense here in just a minute why he felt compelled to read that psalm. Uh, last thing, and then we'll get to the text. David uh, was probably sitting on a hillside looking out at the moon and stars, the night sky when he penned this. Um, and a lot of times we don't get that opportunity because of light pollution. We might see like one star or sometimes the moon. Uh, but I encourage you to do it and, and be just enamored and awed by the beauty of creation. And so what we're going to do, though, for you is try to recreate that, what David was experiencing the best that we can when he penned uh, Psalm chapter 8. And I'll read it over us. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them, yet... You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you've made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And we'll let that sit for just a second and jump over to Genesis 1, and you can see what's going on in David's mind. He's overwhelmed at the beauty of creation. And, and David's going, when I look up and see the moon and the stars and their beauty and their power and their light, why me? He's overwhelmed. If that's what all God ever created, it would be enough to show his beauty and his majesty. But he didn't stop there. So Psalm 8 is what we call an inclusio. It's a literary device where if you notice the first phrase, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth, and the last phrase are the same. And what that's gonna tell us to do is really pay attention to the middle because it's actually gonna explain how God's name is revealed in all the earth. And that takes us to Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and all small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God could have chosen anything that he created, especially the beauty of the moon and the stars to display his majesty. But what did he choose to reveal his magnificent name in all the earth. He chose, he chose us. He chose, he chose this picture right here. That's my daughter, I had to do this. Today's her ninth birthday. And to be clear, to be clear, she is made in the image of God. Anyone that knows me knows that that dog is a problem. He is not. <laughs> but God chose her. He chose me. He chose you. He chose, he chose us to make his name great in all the earth. And 
that, that's what David's thinking on. When I look at all this, why, why lowly dirt creatures? That's what we are. And in many ways, uh, the, the moon and the star, they have no choice but to shine. They're dependent on God's power and light. But for humans, he gave this immense dignity and authority to choose for ourselves. And in many ways, in some quite consequential ways, the, the future of creation is actually somewhat dependent on what humanity does with this gift. We see Adam and Eve receive this vocation from God. He creates them, puts them in the garden. You're made in my image, so reign with me, subdue the earth, care for all creation as I care uh, for you. And although the term priesthood won't be developed for, for years later, we see this idea of mankind being priests, mediating God's presence to all creation and also having this intimacy with our creator. And basically what, what God is saying and David is writing, I want to take care of you, God. I want to take care of you. And then God says, so you can go take care of creation and what a calling this is. Diving a little deeper to fully understand our purpose um, and what's going on here in Psalm 8, I wanna look a little deeper into the creation narrative found in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. And I wanna draw your attention to this phrase, formless and empty. In the Hebrew, I'm gonna make a fool of myself here, it is tohu wabohu. And this is a play on words. You can kind of hear the, the rhythm of it. Tohu is a word, bohu is a word. You only see in scripture three times that this exact phrase is used. And when tohu or bohu is used, it's used to describe a city that was once thriving, but has been brought to ruins. Or it's describing a desert wasteland, or it's the, uh, the wilderness, um, but the only time you see this is in Genesis 1. You see it in Isaiah 34 and Jeremiah 4, which we'll cover here in a little bit. And basically what it's getting at is there's no life, there's no purpose, there's no structure. And most scholars would say that one of the best words that we could use for this is chaos. In the beginning, there was chaos. There was nothing. There was nothing formed. There was no purpose or life. But then God brings order from chaos by filling the night with the moon and the stars and day with the sun. And what does he do? He establishes order. He sets time in place. And if they do their job well, hopefully they do, uh, God's beauty and order will be displayed in the world. If the sun, the moon, and stars don't do their job, we're, we're not in a good spot. He then creates animals to fill the earth and fills it with vegetation and there's abundant life everywhere we look. Then he creates humanity, sets him in the garden to rule and reign with him and perpetuate God's good order throughout the chaos. But we don't get very far into this story where another kind of narrative or theme starts. And that is when humans step outside of God's authority and live on their own power and take for themselves, chaos always follows. We see this in Genesis 3, the first time humanity steps outside of this. Uh, Genesis 3, 1 through 3, we won't read it, but Adam and Eve, God gives them everything except for one thing. And what do they do? That's the one thing that I want. And they see that the fruit looks good. And what do they do? They take the fruit for themselves and chaos follows. And we're left asking this question, 
Are humans even capable of living out this vocation of making God's name majestic in all the earth? But we see God is faithful and he raises up someone named Abraham. In Genesis 12, one through three, listen to the call of Abraham and you see that God, what he intends for creation is to bless and perpetuate goodness and not chaos. Uh, Genesis 12, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this promise to Abram and who becomes Abraham and he says, I will make you a great nation. What do you need to have like a nation? You need uh, offspring, you need kids. And a few years down the road, they step outside of God's plan. They don't trust. And what they do, scripture says in Genesis 16 that, that Sarah takes Hagar, their servant slave, and, and says, Abram, go make a baby with her. And what happens? Chaos. And then we fast forward again and God in his faithfulness still wants to bless the world in his name through his partners, humans. And he raises up a man by the name of King David. And he says, I'll establish your kingdom and throne forever. But as we talked about a few weeks ago in Psalm 51, a, uh, David is where he shouldn't be. He should probably be on the front lines out at war. And he sees Bathsheba and David does what? He, he takes Bathsheba and chaos follows. And so just to kind of set this groundwork and, and recap it, we see that God creates order from chaos. He gives humans our purpose, which is to rule and reign with him as priest. But when we forget our purpose and we act on our own behalf, we take for ourselves and chaos follows and we're left asking this really important question, are humans capable of this vocation. And now we get to kind of the climax of the Old Testament story where God is choosing people and trying to work through them to bless the world in his name. The family of Abraham, Israel, has abdicated her responsibility to bless the world in the name of God because they were taking idols from themselves. They were settling on things, cheaper things, things that could not satisfy and their appetites grew. And so they kept taking, not just idols, but taking from the orphans, taking from the widow, taking from the poor, taking from the weak. And because of this, they're gonna go into a Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah, the prophet looks out and he sees actually a, a thriving city, once thriving kingdom. And people think things are going well. If you're at the top and you're exercising your authority uh, for yourself, you might think it's going pretty good, but this is what Jeremiah sees. And listen for the echoes of Genesis one here. I looked at the earth and it was empty and formless. That to, tohu wabohu. I looked at the heavens and there was no light. I looked at the mountains and hills and they trembled and shook. I looked and all the people were gone. All the birds of the sky had flown away. I looked and the fertile fields had become a wilderness. The towns lay in ruins, crushed by the Lord's fierce anger. And you can see and hear this riffing off of Genesis 1, but it's the actual complete opposite of what God intended. You see, there was darkness and then God spoke light. 
There were no humans and then God put humans there and gave them their purpose. And then Jeremiah looks out and says, I see no light. I don't even see birds or animals and I don't see any humans there to bear the image of God and bless the world in his name. And so we're left with this idea that when humans use their dignity and authority to take for themselves, instead of blessing the world in the name of God, we participate in acts of anti-creation. Probably not a word, but I made it up. Anti-creation. What I mean by that is we are literally undoing the good God intended for the world. Anytime we take for ourselves and we only look out for ourselves and not those around us, we are creating and participating in acts of anti-creation. What does it do? It creates chaos for us and for those around us. But this isn't just like Adam and Eve's and Abraham's and David's problem. This is my problem too. Because I can think of countless times where I've acted in my own self-interest and not for the good of those around me thinking that it might serve me, even if it's just short, short term. There's been times where I've settled for idols, not an not a image that I bow down to, won't do that. But there's a lot of things that I settle for instead of the fullness and the presence of God. And we take advantage of people instead of loving them. And we look out for our needs and not the needs of others. And it seems that we probably have answered the ultimate question of the Old Testament. Are humans capable of living up to this vocation, what do you think the answer is? Yeah, absolutely not. It's a resounding, nah, bro. But here's the thing, God, for whatever reason, has chosen to bind himself to humanity. Rule and reign with me. I give you authority, go, make my name great. And so the future of creation, again, in some very consequential ways are dependent on how well or not well that we do this. It seems. We'll jump forward about 580, 600 years. Uh, And you can hear the echoes of Genesis 1 here in John chapter 1 in the New Testament, verses 1 through 5. It says that in the beginning, the word already existed. Hear that creation, in the beginning. The word was with God, the word was God, and he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So there is darkness and chaos in our lives, yes, but there is a true light that has been spoken over us and that is Jesus and he shines in the darkness and what John is telling us is this light can never extinguish be extinguished because this light provides much greater light than the moon, stars, or sun ever do. All they can do is give light to our eyes, but Jesus gives light to our hearts. How does he do this? We'll skip down to verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. What has Jesus done? He has revealed God to us. The very thing that humans were called to do in the beginning when Adam and Eve were created, go bear my image, rule and reign with me, go and and, and show creation, reveal who I am, make my name great, magnificent in all the earth. But we've answered the question, we cannot, so we need someone who can. And Jesus being God and man is the only one who can faithfully reveal creation to us because all 
of us have abdicated that responsibility and choosing to take for ourselves instead of give and be a blessing. But it's much more than that. I love this. And here's kind of the hyperlinking that we're gonna do. So Hebrews chapter two quotes Psalm eight and connects it to Jesus. So we see that Jesus reveals who God is to creation, but it's more than that. Hebrews 2, 6 says, For in one place the scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. Why? Because we stink sometimes. But what do we see? What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory and it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them to salvation. Verse 17 says, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And so now we see this fulfillment of Psalm 8. Humans called to show the goodness, the good reign, the beautiful reign of God for all creation. And we never could, but finally there is a man named Jesus the God of creation who steps into the chaos that we created and he faithfully represents God to us, but more just as equal to that, he represents us now back to God. That Old Testament question, are we able to represent God to the earth? No, but in Jesus, God himself has done for us what we could never do. And this is why in Philippians 2, it says that God has given Jesus a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus steps in as our high priest, does for us what we could not do for ourselves, and God has given him a name above every name. And Psalm 8 ultimately is pointing to Jesus. It says, Humans should do this. This is what I call them to. Humans can't do this. So Jesus comes and does it for us and has the name above every name. And that is how God's magnificent name fills the earth. This is the gospel. That's why I love Psalm 8. It's riffing off Genesis 1 and Hebrews 2, talking about our inability to... to bear God's image, but there's one who does. And that Jesus comes and he lives the life that you and I could never live. He is holy, he is righteous. And he, he's able to become our high priest because he is perfect and he's holy. And then he dies the death that you and I deserve. He offers himself as a sacrifice. He cleanses us from our sin the moment that we choose to trust in him. And the best part is Three days later, he rose from the grave and he gives his life to us, for us, for free. And this act is an act of new creation. 
That is, God in Jesus Christ is bringing order out of the chaos that we created. He's setting all things right, light from darkness, order from chaos, and new creation has begun. The moment he steps out of the grave, new creation begins. And I love the imagery here used in the New Testament because what Jesus does is doesn't say, y'all failed, I'll just, I got it. No, he, he calls us back to reign with him as priest. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his, his wonderful light. And you can hear that call, be my priest, show the world how good I am. And so the question becomes, how do we, how do we perpetuate this new creation? How do we reign with Jesus as priests? Because this is what the text is calling us to do. And we've already established that when we take for ourselves that all we're gonna do is create chaos. And so what does it look like? Answer's pretty simple, maybe a little obvious, but we follow the king of this new kingdom. We adopt the same attitude or mindset that Jesus had. And in no better place um, do we get kind of the vantage point for how Jesus thought than in Philippians 2, verses three through eight. I want you to listen for the words take and actually how they're used, almost inverted here. Paul writes, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So what was the attitude of Christ? What did Christ think about what he was after? He took, but the only thing that he took was the position of a humble slave. He emptied himself. He surrendered uh, his divine privileges. And I want you to just think about this. You've probably heard this, but it is crazy. The God of creation stepped into creation and became a baby. It, it blows my mind. He came to serve us. That's why David says, what are human beings that you should care for us? But he does, and he gave himself up for us. And then he calls us, what does it look like? to be a priest reigning alongside Jesus. Well, we do the same. He calls us to take an interest in others, not just ourselves. And I know this is hard sometimes because when you're surrounded by chaos or darkness, um, you can kind of get tunnel vision and you're just thinking about what's going on in, in, in your life, in your mind. And we get that. Um, COVID was like that for many of us. I don't know if y'all remember that. Um, but you just kind of get tunnel vision. And, and what ends up happening is you just kind of perpetuate the own chaos. But to do the same, we need to take an interest in others. We need to give, we need to bless. Because here's the thing. We look at Genesis 1, 
we look at John 1, um, and you see that in the beginning, when there was chaos, there was darkness, the Spirit of God was above the waters. God is sovereign, he's good, he's in control, not you. So when you're in chaos, the solution isn't to take, it's to surrender. And then we see in Genesis 1 that the spirit was hovering over the waters and then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And you fast forward to John 1, the darkness and the chaos that we created, we see that God speaks a final word of light and that's in his son, Jesus. This chaos that we have perpetuated, Jesus has come to rid us of that chaos, to to bring about new creation. But the only way we can bring ourselves into new creation, we can't. Jesus does that for us. There's no control. We surrender and we trust in him. The only way um, to live and reign as priests is to live a life of dependence on the goodness and grace of God. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, eight through 10. He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. He's talking about a thorn in his flesh, probably just a big splinter or some metaphor. Um, It's a metaphor. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffered for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Only from a place of dependence on 100% reliance on his power. I mean, think about the moon and the stars. They're not, they're 100% dependent on them. They don't get to make the choice to shine or not shine. We do. And so what do we do? We, we, we don't take in our own power or authority, but we just lay ourselves at Jesus and say, we are nothing without you. And that's the best place that anyone could ever be. We let God take care of us and serve us. And then we realize there's no need to look out for yourself because the God of creation is looking out for you. Psalm 8 is telling us quite a bit that God has created order from chaos and he calls it good. That humanity on its own power and strength revert the world back to chaos. That God in Christ has done for us what we could never do. He's conquered the chaos and brought about new creation. And he invites us back to live as priests and show the goodness of God to all creation. And when humans use their dignity and authority to give of themselves and to bless the world instead of taking for themselves, we participate in acts of new creation. And what follows is goodness, not chaos. And that's how we reveal God's magnificent name in all the earth. Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, we thank you for your might, your power, your mercy, your grace. God, we thank you that you're a God of order and we so many times live our lives disordered. We have created chaos, but you have brought about order through the reign of your son, Jesus. He has done for us what we could never do and has offered his life to us freely and we're grateful. 
So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may be experiencing chaos. Would you help them to see that God, you're above it and that you've spoken a final word, that you are the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Forever, for always, you will reign. And God, we're grateful that you've invited us to reign with you. Help us, help us become weak so that we can be strong. Help us depend on you because that's the only way we can reign with you, not in our own power because we take and create chaos. But God, we, we want to receive what you give to us so we can give to those around us. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.